You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love Pour Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. Good morning out there and off the shelf. Uh, good morning, good morning, good morning out there. And this is, you guys, we're coming up on our last week. Our last week in March, next week, what, we have just a few more days and we're wrapping up March. I want to pause for a moment. I know I heard this morning that Reverend Joseph Lowry, he's now joined the ancestors, so thank him for all of his work and just pausing to acknowledge what he has done. And the health care workers and so many on the front lines today, we know he was doing so much tireless work for so many years to help get us to where we are, to the civil rights movement and more. And we have people on the front lines today dealing with the COVID-19. So all those who serve, and everybody can serve, but I just pause to say thank you. And again, thank you to Reverend Joseph Lowry and just just rest. So today is Saturday, March 28th, and this is that was one thought when I got up this morning and saw that. And, you know, you guys, I leave a positive message in every single Saturday now. So this is from Will Rogers. Don't let yesterday take up too much of today. And some people would say don't let any of yesterday. Just forgive and we make mistakes and go forward. Just be committed not to repeat those mistakes. We have an awesome guest on deck for you all this morning. I can't wait to pull her in live to Off the Shelf this morning. For our loyal listeners who've been with us for 15 years, thank you, thank you, thank you. And if it's your first time coming over to Off the Shelf, you are listening to the Winning Book Radio Show, Off the Shelf. And again, welcome to our Saturday, March the 28th show. Before we introduce to you today's guest, and I have seen her online so many times. She's such a great book maven and doing so much and really holding up Detroit. Uh, She really does a good job representing Motown City, Detroit, uh, uh, the Motor City. So we we have her. She'll be, I'll introduce her in just a few seconds. But before I do, as I always ask you guys, how good of a mystery sleuth are you? I love mysteries. I love whodunits. And even, you know, a good mystery, they can show the audience who did what. And I'm thinking about the Columbo's. But then you watch the characters, when they're really good, when will they figure it out? So as an author, you know what happened, but you like to know, can the readers figure it out before you reveal it to them, if you love a mystery? And I mean, this is a this mystery starts at the start of the book, and it almost goes to the end. And there's a lot other things that happen, but if you love a good mystery, I encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. It's an e-book or print format. Another reason why I think you would love Love Pour Over Me is if you value relationships, there's a soulmate relationship in here, a romantic soulmate relationship between Raymond and Brenda, but there's also a complicated father-son relationship. And there are these four dude friends, and they go through the thick and the thin, but is one of them involved in the mystery? And what role does he play? This story is very intriguing, entwining, and intense. 
very intense in scenes. If that's something that appeals to you, I would stop what I'm doing and get a copy of Love Poe for Me, ebook or print format. You can get it at Barnes and Noble, Walmart, Amazon, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Please get a copy and let me know how you enjoy Love Poe Over Me. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. You guys, I am so excited. I reached out to her. I can't remember how it happened, but it was months ago because, fortunately, off-the-shelf fills up, schedules up really, 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 like through six months out. I was so excited, and I've just been excited to be able to interview her and even more to introduce her to you, our listeners, because I'm sure there's so much valuable information and entertainment that you'll get from her. So who is our special guest this morning? She is the one and only Sylvia Hubbard. Now, Sylvia is the founder of Motown Writers Network and the Michigan Literary Network. I told you guys she was holding Detroit and Michigan down. She is also the CEO of Hub Books Literary Services and the publisher of more than 40 romance suspense novels. Among the books that Sylvia has written or published are Baby Doll, Heart of Detroit series, Innocent Vengeance, Let Me Love You, Beautiful, Drawing the Line, Dreams of Reality, and Diamond in the Rough, and so many more. And as if that's not enough, she is also the part-time host of the radio show, Michigan Literary Network Radio Show. She's also a public speaker and workshop leader. Please visit Sylvia Hubbard online at Sylvia Hubbard, S-Y-L, V-I-A-H-U-B-B-A-R-D dot com. Again, that's S-Y-L-V-I-A-H-U-B-B-A-R-D dot com. I'm getting ready to connect to bring her in live. We are so honored to have Sylvia Hubbard here with us this morning. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Sylvia. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Oh, what a pleasure! I see you. I I have seen you around for it's got to be over a year. I said I've got to get her on off the shelf. She is so involved in the literary community. There's so many things that, and there's there's so many people who support authors, whether they write themselves. I'm thinking uh, Tyora and and LaShonda mm-hmm. that just they help other people, not just promoting their own books. So it's an honor to have you on here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. What are you talking about? <laughs> now, the first few questions I'm going to ask you, I ask every guest, so I can give our listeners a little backstory on our guests before I launch into questions about their books. So to kick mm-hmm. it off, Sylvia, could you please tell off-the-shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Oh, good Lord. I grew up in, in the heart of Detroit. <laughs> West Side, if you want to be specific. So you can just imagine uh, what you hear about Detroit is true, but what you don't hear is even more true. So we are we are determined. We are we are different. <laughs> okay, and that's what you will definitely find in my books and in me. So yeah, like yes, all I can say is that I am Detroit. I am from Detroit, and just it's been a wonderful experience. And I've had the pleasure of having two wonderful parents who just taught us. You know, you can be in the world, but the world don't have to live in you. And they've made me into a very strong, intelligent young lady that I can be proud to say I am their daughter. So, oh, yeah. now do you have any siblings, brothers and sisters? 
Yes, I have uh, eight brothers and sisters, uh, nephews and nieces and so on. So and three kids that I know of. So, <laughs> Let me ask you this. When you were coming up, was Detroit, see, when I grew up, I grew, was born in Dayton, Ohio. Detroit was like a happening city. Was it really Ooh. booming when you? Yeah, when I was growing up, it was so, it was nice. It was wonderful. It was fun. I mean, we had the Bell Owl. Uh, we had the Bablo boat, and I mean, we have the Belle Isle Island. I saw it was like really cool, and it was cool to be a Detroiter because if you were a resident of Detroit, like you got all these great discounts, and I mean, everybody had, you know, everybody was like immediate income, and for that to be like a a, a powerful black, you know, neighborhoods, you know, where everybody had median income, it was great because you know. You know, you knew about life because you were living in Detroit, so you knew about the the rough stuff, but then you were also living in a median income, so it was like, yeah, you knew both lifestyles, and then as it progressed towards the 90s and 2000, and it started to go downhill, like you you saw this this city just die in front of you, you know, and you're, mm. you had to love it. You had to love it to stay. You couldn't just say, I'm just staying. Like, you had to be in love with it. You had to show agape. Like, that's how much I love for Detroit had to be for you to sit and stay here and just say, hey, I love this city, and I'm going to support this city and help it get it back on its feet. So the people who have stayed and supported this city, you, you, they're true Detroiters. If you pay insurance in Detroit, you are a true Detroiter. I'm gonna tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you were a kid, what did you, what did you dream about being? What did you say you wanted to be when you grew up? When you were a kid, I've always wanted to be a writer. I, I have to thank my mom because she said when I was six or seven, I used to lie to her when I was little. So what she would do is like I would get a whooping for lying. But then she would make me go write my lie down on paper and then come back to her and tell her what I wrote down. But then I'd get another lie. So in essence, she was teaching me storytelling because I've learned in human nature, it's not the lie that hurts us. It's the deceit that you put into the lie, the work that you put into the lie that not only hurts the person but also makes great stories. So I stopped lying. Because it was very painful. And I started, like, writing more because it was, you know, less painful. And, my, you know, my pain became my pleasure. And I lost a lot of friends. But still, like, I've always wanted to be that writer because I saw that stories look so much better on paper. So I have to thank my mom and all her life-threatening butt whoopings. <laughs> <laughs> now, was literature... Was literature big in Detroit when you were a kid? So was that something that helped to inspire you to pursue writing, that it was it was a lot of focus on literature in the city? It was big in our household because my mom was a teacher and my dad was a chemist. So science and, and literacy was a big part of growing up in our household and, you know, learning about things and exploring things and being curious about things. You know, in our household, that was our world. That was like what we grew up with and walking out into the world. You know, Detroit gives you so much education of like what the world is going to be like. <laughs> so uh, you, you had the best of both worlds as we were growing up. And, you know, we we discovered things and we knew things. So it was like, it was a great thing. But my mom pushed literacy and reading and writing 
um, into us from the time we were born. Like everybody in our household, I think, knew how to read a book by the time they were three years old. Like we'd be sitting oh. somewhere reading books. So that was like, that was pushed in us. Literacy was like, bam, that was it. So like we just grew up knowing like we're going to be readers and we're going to be writers or both, you know. So being an author was just the the next phase, you know, once I realized, hey, I can I can become something and I would like to become an author. So I knew I wanted to see my name on the front of a book. You know, before I die, Lord, please let me have that done. So that was my dream as I was growing up, and it was always there. You know, that is, we've had a lot of guests on, and some people don't, they they don't start writing until their 40s, or and some people mm-hmm. always knew that they wanted to be a writer. That shared, thank you for that backstory. Can you please give off-the-shelf listeners an overview of your book, Daddy's Girl? So Daddy's Girl is my, I would say that would be my, 49th book that was my 49th book (laughs) it's my 49th book daddy's girl is actually a standalone to the black series so there's a whole bunch of brothers and cousins and the black family and um titan is a man of determination when he wants something he wants something and uh the female protagonist, she just she just comes to Detroit just to sign away her father's company. Her father died, and she just wants the money from the from the inheritance. She's never met her father, but he left her everything, and she that's all she wants to do is just get that part of her past out of her life, and that's it. And then she ends up meeting Titan, who then involves her in her own family scandal that she never thought would happen to her. So that was kind of a fun book to write where it's a it's a suspense and mystery because she has to figure out, well, you know, why is why did her father like why did her mother hide her father's life so much from her and her father? So she starts to explore down that road and then she realizes why she shouldn't be with Titan. So very interesting. <laughs> and why was Annalisa set on being an entrepreneur? Um, which line of business did she want to launch a company in? It is this something in in her her father? She comes back to to square away his business. Is this something that runs in the family where they're like a family of entrepreneurs? Well, on her father's side, she he did he, he they actually uh, ran clubs, so they opened clubs for hotels around the world. So it was a very profitable company. Her herself, since she didn't grow up with her father, but she's always wanted to run her own business. She wanted to run her own um, virtual assistance business. But everybody would tell her, you know, and it's like in any community, you know, people are close to you. Why don't you just go get a job? You know, instead of trying to run your own business, get a job, get something secure, blah, blah, blah. And she was just dead set. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to control my hours. I want to control my work. You know, I have dreams and I have goals. And a lot of times I wanted to address that. You know, a lot of times even your family sometimes don't even support, you know, what you want to do. But sometimes you just have to step out on faith 
and things will come to you. So she felt her father's death was her way of getting the money she needed without anybody else's help of starting her business, you know. And that was really the point of her goals in life was to just do what you feel you need to do in order for you to be happy. And that's what, like, her whole goal in life was to be, like, just to be happy running her own business and let nothing get in the way of that. Because people will tell you all the time, don't do it, just do this, this is easier, and blah, blah, blah. But, no, you have to do what you have to do, and that was Annalisa's goal. So she don't want anything okay, to get in Annalisa. her way. I was going to ask you how her father earned his money, but you said they – he he opened clubs, so that's how he earned his money. And then she wanted to go into like being a virtual assistant, but she had that entrepreneurial. Now, can you introduce us to tell us a little bit more about Annalisa, her father, and some of the other major characters in Daddy's Girl? Well, she just always grew up like her mother was always protective because she was the only child. And, of course, her mother was kind of one of those needy single moms where, you know, she just lived vicariously through her daughter but still wanted to control her life. And she did not want Annalise to have anything to do with her father's family at all. So Annalisa just, she doesn't even care. She just wants the money. She don't care about her father's family until Uh. she goes to Detroit to claim it. And then uh, on the way there, she meets titan on the plane and she's like hey i'm single i can mingle i can have a one night stand with this great looking stranger and nothing will come of it and then comes to find out when she goes to the lawyer's office to sign away her father's company back to her uncle her step uncle which she finds out that that's her step uncle um yeah, it turns out that uh, Titan's there at the funeral too. So uh, that is something that she, you know, some she knows something's up. What's he like? Is he a, is he a, like a cool dude? Is he a nice guy well, or is he like a? Well, all my readers know they've been reading my books, like you know, because this is the forty ninth book. So readers have been with me. When I say it's a black family member, there's usually something wrong with them that means like a lot of men don't discuss like mental health and physical health and things like that so usually in the black family there's something psychologically wrong with them but i say crazy need love too (laughs) okay okay now what what was the first book in the heart of detroit series this is like 49th and i gotta ask you too how many books do you write every year? Forty nine. Do you publish like three books a year? They average about three to four books a year. Um, when it comes on, I think it's about three or four books a year. So the Black series, uh, the first book in that is Love Like This, which you can actually get for free, download free as an ebook, and that's Ethan Black, where he gets revenge against his wife, and then it goes into the rest of their family. So. All these books are all standalone. So even though in my case I say series because these are all connected in some kind of way, but only because they're companion books. So, like, Ethan appears in, like, six other books, but they have standalone stories. So they're, like, all borrowed characters. So if I need a lawyer that's in family law in book one, but I need him also in book 10 or book 20, I'll pull them in instead of creating a whole new character. 
So all my books are pretty much relationship in a whole new world. That's why I kind of call myself the literary world, the Sylvia Hubbard, because, like, it's a huge world that after 50 books, you're kind of like, okay, where do I start? And I usually just say, you know, you could start where you are, get the first book, and then just go from there because they're all companion books, and you'll see somebody in another book somewhere. So all these, you've written, this is your 49th Daddy's Girl. Is this, Mm -hmm. when you first started writing, did you intend to turn your book into a series? And how many books are in the series? So in the Black series, there are six books in all. uh, Daddy's Girl is actually the last book in the Black series. Those are the last of the men because a new family just moved into town. So I'm going to concentrate on that. Uh, and I know that sounds crazy. <laughs> that sounds insane as a writer. But uh, I, in the beginning, no, I didn't. Because back in 2000, when I originally first self-published my first book, Dreams of Reality, I did not expect it to be. I was just kind of like at that point, remember I said I wanted to be an author before I died. That's all I knew. And then the Y2K bug was coming, you know, and everybody thought the world was going to end. So it was like, oh, my God, before I die or before this planet blows up, I want to just say I wrote a book, I published a book. So I kind of like hurried up and learned about publishing and and put out a book. So it was kind of like, okay, I did expect that. I just came out with that book. But then from that book, um, I think Thaddeus was that that was the character in there. I was in another book and I was like, hey, I need a best friend for my male protagonist. And I was like, oh, instead of making up a new friend, let me pull Thaddeus in. And then that was, I think that was my sixth book, Deceptive Nights. And then I was like, hey, let's just start this as a trend. So I would just go back to old books and just pull people in, you know, people like it would be old protagonists or old antagonists I needed, you know, something like that. You know, if I know somebody is evil or still somebody man, but I didn't kill them off, I'd be like, hey, let me pull them in again. And then the readers would be like, oh, my God, kill people's men. We're going to have a good time. So, like, <laughs> it would just be they knew what was coming. They knew either trouble was coming or something good was going to happen. So it would be so much fun just playing around with my readers, like, okay, let me see who I can throw in now. And they'd just jump on it because they just knew what was going to happen. But, of course, that didn't happen. So I love uh, it. I love keeping them on their toes. <laughs> can you share a synopsis uh, for Emperor's Heart? What is this about? This is – and, and – I'm sure you have loads of readers, but for off-the-shelf listeners who they're just hearing about Sylvia Hubbard and your books, could you just give us a, a synopsis of Emperor's Heart? So Emperor's Heart is the sixth book in the Heart of Detroit series. So the Heart of Detroit men are, uh, they're not well either, I guess. <laughs> well, they, they deal in security, so they're always, you know, trying to protect somebody. Well, Emperor uh-huh. is kind of in the communications part. He helps with communication for the business. And um, he actually, Emperor has a sex addiction that he's trying to go cold turkey because now that he has a teenage daughter, he wants to be, you know, a symbol to her. Like, hey, if I can control my sex drive, so can you, and we can stay away, you know, and be celibate and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, this is okay. I can do this. <laughs> that is until oh, you he meets, 
<laughs> that is until he meets a, a friend of his daughter's and like he becomes obsessive about her, addicted to her. That's why like the first book in his series is called Emperor's Addiction. And then he just gets addicted to her. So he can't ah. do anything. Else. So, okay. and go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Oh, okay, you said okay. it's actually book is actually because it's a war. It's actually a war between the whole Hart family that everybody in every book that everybody's ever read. They have to choose a side between King Hart, which is Emperor's brother, and then Lethal Hart, which is Emperor's cousin. So it's a big war, and I think that's in four books from now. I think that's book like fifty six for me. Um, it's a war about to happen. So everybody's getting prepared for the war. So it was kind of, oh, this book okay. of everything. Of If you want to find out about the heart, like everything is in here. It kind of tells the whole story. But now and I have what to start is it, <laughs> What is it about Emperor's father that he can't let go of the past? Why is he so stuck in the past? Um, Because uh, Emperor's father actually wants to commit patricide on the whole family. Patricide means that they feel like everybody in the family is evil, so they have to get rid of them. And he actually started patricide a long time ago, and now the past is coming back. He's, he's, it's starting up again. Family members are starting to die. But why would he want to, why does he want to do that? Why like would make him even think when you, uh, from my research, because I, I actually had to do research on why people decided to commit patricide, and it's a, it does I've never happen. even heard of that. When did it you learn happen. about that? <laughs> like I said, I'm, we in Detroit, we're different. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, that's a new one. But actually, it does happen where people feel, um, and you can see it a lot of times uh, where you see mothers kill off children and then kill themselves, or when fathers decide to commit family suicides and kill off their entire family. Um, It does happen. You've heard of it, but they've never put a name on it. So, you know, you've seen the murder-suicide a lot. You know, you've heard about them, um, where they just have this, where they feel that they must kill everybody. Everybody must go, no matter what, no matter how young they are, how old they are, what kind of condition they're in. Because we are blood relations, you must die. Oh. You don't want to suffer the same as me. So it, it's a it's a deep mental condition that can stem from a lot of things, but it does happen, and a lot of people don't talk about it. They just think, oh, okay, he was just crazy. No, it it was signs. It was things that people could have did to stop it, but people just thought, oh, he's just crazy. He just needs his medicine. No, you should have told that wife to leave, or you should have warned other people about this, and things like that wouldn't have happened. So I, I do deal a lot with a lot of mental issues, especially things that we don't talk about in my books. It's not just all blood and gore or sex and stuff, but it does have to do with a lot of mental issues, especially in the black community that we don't even discuss. Like, why are they like that? And you'd be like, oh, she's just crazy. No, she wasn't. There were things you could have stopped. There were things you knew about that you didn't pick up on. Mm. Now, Sylvia, we want to talk more about your books, but I have to ask you, how are you able to write and publish 
as many books as you do a year and keep the Motown Writers Network and the Michigan Literary Network moving forward. How are you able to juggle all of this? I I always say it's the grace of God um, when God puts something into you. You know, he he makes, like they always say, if you have a gift or you have a, a goal that God puts into you, it it makes room in your life for it. You know, things move out the way or things happen for you. So, you know, I just say as long as I'm I'm doing his will, things work out for me. So, um, and it does. I just create a system where, okay, I'm working on Motown writers right now or I'm working on all my books right now and I'm I'm marketing right now and I'm publishing right now and so it just it just kinda works itself out where you know, as long as I have a system, a schedule, I write things down, you know, and I try to keep as organized as, as possible. I wouldn't say I'm perfect at no, not the least, but, you know, I just keep saying every day I wake up, your will, and then move forward in what I have to do. Oh, okay. I like that. I like that. Now, introduce us to Stilling Innocence 3. So the Stilling Innocence book is more of, uh, they're all standalones, like I said, but they're a premise of uh, a man being taken against his will. And that is because a lot of times, like, men don't discuss it or even know that they were, they were, like, they had unconsensual sex, you know, because Mm -hmm. then you go and tell your friends and you say, hey, this happened to me, and they'd be like, oh, man, she must have really wanted it. And the man was like, no, but I didn't want to do it. And it was a lot of guy friends that I had, they were saying that to me, and I was like, well, you know, you you just got raped, right? And they'd be like, oh, no, 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 she can't rape me. I'd be like, no, <laughs> let's stop right there. If you were a female and you said stop, 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 that would be, <laughs> that would yeah. be pressing changes. But for men to just say, okay, it's okay, it's not okay. And so in these cases, that's what was occurring. The mm. premise was there. So. <laughs> okay. So um, what, what, and, and our char- the characters instilling innocence, and you do take on heady topics that a lot of people sometimes, a lot of things, you know, over the years, I can remember back in the 70s, there were things people didn't talk about, child abuse, incest, Domestic violence, you would almost think that everybody just lived this perfect life and went to church and came home. And then more people started to share their story about what was really going like you're doing in your, the book, like Stealing Innocence. And then more okay. people would come forward and say, this this is what's happening. I've been living like a mirage. This is not, I haven't mm-hmm. been living the truth, and I, I want to live my truth now. So you see this more and more and more. So in this story, still in innocence, these two characters, what drives Enola and Aiden? What what is actually driving both of them? Well, in in Enola's case, she just kind of wanted a sister, and just to make her sister happy. They were twins, but they were like at the far ends of the spectrum, and she, you know, she always lived in her sister's shadow. But like, you know, she just wanted to her sister just to 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 like her, you know, and her sister always like, oh, you're just a goody two-shoe, you know, you'll never be good enough and blah, blah, blah. But in truth, it was the Enola that her sister wanted to be like, but Enola didn't see that. She just said, hey, I want to be like my sister. I want my sister to like me. Um, 
And she flies to Detroit to, you know, see her sister get married. Now, her sister is, like, kind of like, all she wants is money. She wants to be an American because they live in Canada and they're Canadian citizens. But her sister is determined to be an American citizen and find a rich American man and, you know, buy whatever she wants and do whatever she wants. Um, But she promised her husband that she was a virgin and she wasn't. And... That's what her husband expects. Now, Aiden is, uh, Aiden wants revenge against her sister. And um, he thinks the only way to get it is through Enola. So he Mm. tricks Enola into thinking that uh, he's there for her and he's going to help her and blah, blah, blah. And really he has wrong intentions because he was the one that was deceived in and kind of taken advantage of. So he wants revenge, and he gets it through Umola. Uh, all of the trickery and the twists and the turns that go on in these stories. <laughs> now, all these books, and I can tell you just, like, enjoy, you're, you're, you, enjoy, you enjoy creating these stories. You know, let your I imagination do. and your creativity go. So speaking about writing, uh, Sylvia, when and why – when and why did you start the Motown Writers Network? Well, it went back, actually, when I first published my first book. Like I said, I kind of jumped into the pool, like the deep end. Um, and I didn't know a lot. And so I would go and ask other authors, like, how do you do it? How did you, you know, market your book? Because back in 2000, it wasn't a lot of knowledge about how to market, a lot of people were just going to traditional publishers and saying, hey, here's my book, you do it, you market, you you promote it. But it wasn't a lot of, like, self-publishing marketing information out there. So when I would ask other authors, they'd be like, well, you know, buy my book, buy my program, come to my workshop, do this, and do all these jumps and hoops and everything. And I was like, well, I don't have the money or the time to, you know, to do all this. Why don't you just tell me? And it wasn't a lot of readily information out there. So what I did was I created Motown Writers Network to start doing interviews with authors. So when I would do an interview with author and then feature them on this website, which I created like overnight, I'd be like, you know, I could ask them all the questions I wanted and they would tell me everything I needed. <laughs> oh, you're so crazy. <laughs> oh, that's what <laughs> That's one way. Okay. Because <laughs> I, oh, I was like, okay, I wanted people to come in and say, oh, my God, I'm featured. Oh, my God, she's got subscribers. <laughs> but we didn't really think people would start subscribing. So, like, a year later, I'm at this event, and this girl was like, oh, what do you do? And I was like, well, I'm Sylvia. I'm an author. And I'm, oh, I found it, Motown Writers Network. And she was like, oh, my God, I'm a member. I love the group. And I'm like, there's a membership? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait, how is there a membership? And she was like, yeah, I just went and I subscribed and it says, hey, you're a member. And I was like, really? <laughs> I did not oh know. Oh, my God. You I went back into my interface because I really hadn't checked the site. I was just posting interviews, posting articles, you know, responding to people's questions and stuff like that. I really wasn't doing anything special in my terms. I was kind of just getting the information. That's all I wanted. And then I had like 75 people 
you like registered. Wow. And I was like, oh my God, are you serious? So to date now we have over 10,000 people subscribed. Oh my goodness. Well, it's so funny because I was like looking at this girl like, how are you a member? Am I a president or something? (laughs) Wow. You know, what a what a blessing though! What a good surprise that you found out. Okay, you that's a nice surprise to discover. Now you have over ten thousand. Now to be a member of the Motown Writers Network, do you have to be either born in in Detroit or currently living in Detroit as a writer to become a member? No, actually, you can be uh, you can be a Michigan author or reader. Um, so we're here to help people get to their literary goals, and we connect readers to Michigan authors. So that's our base company guideline and our network. And so you can be any reader or writer um, to promote or work with us, though, where we promote your information. You have to have a Michigan event, even if, like, you can be outside of Michigan, but you have to have a Michigan event, or you can be a Michigan author and or any literary event that's happening or or institution that's happening in Michigan, and we promote it out. Okay. Now, what's the difference, Sylvia, in the services offered through the Michigan Writers Network and the Michigan Literary Network? What's the difference in... But except we send a lot of writing information and workshops through our Writers Network, and then for the reading, for the literary, we send more reading events and things like that, like book drives, book signings, and things like that, uh, whereas on the writer side, we'll send writing workshops, publishing workshops, marketing workshops, and stuff like that. So, Do you create those? Do I create them, or do, do you mean do I make those events? Sometimes I do. Sometimes the workshops are mine. So you actually create the material and 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 run those workshops, or for so so how would somebody who's interested in either becoming a member and again can you tell the the off the shelf listeners the difference in what's the services offered between the two and how could somebody become a member of either and or both the Motown Writers Network and the Michigan Literary Network? So for the Motown Writers Network, you can just go to MotownWriters.com, and you can join us, subscribe there. You can also go on our Facebook group because we have a Motown Writers there, and you can you can join us there as well. For the Michigan Literary Network, we just ask, you know, subscribe to our uh, newsletter, and then we send you and update you on information that's going on. And you can also join us on our Facebook group at Motown Writers and we send out information there for readers and writers there through our Facebook. Now I want to I want I'm going to talk to you about another book that you wrote. Uh, it's a nonfiction mm-hmm. book in a minute, but I wanted to ask you this and just listening to your responses. This wasn't an initial question I was going to ask, but after listening okay. to you, um, would you you know when you people think okay you 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 focus not that you you don't go national, but you focus on the Detroit and then a statewide Michigan, mm-hmm. for people who are uh, listening to Off the Shelf, and they might think, oh, I need to be in New York or I need to be in Chicago. Or, is it possible in just uh, for an Off the Shelf listener in the city that they're in, is it possible to have enough literary events that they could really introduce their writings and their books right in their town where they live? Is that possible? Yes. And and I actually encourage it. You know, start where it is. The, the main thing is start where you are, you know, and then span out. Yes, we live in a global 
world and, and we should have a global reach. But you really want to build a strong home foundation first before you try to, you know, go on out everywhere else. A lot of people, and even during this time where we're stuck at home and everything, you still have, like, local people who want to support locally and everything. But if people don't know about you locally, then, you know, what's the point? What's the, you know, you always start in your community. And you should be visiting author fairs. You should be visiting libraries. I mean, you should be going to independent bookstores and supporting those. You really want those to stay strong. And, you know, because you need, you do need readers. You should be visiting schools and encouraging literacy, writing and reading all the time. I mean, these are the things that you should be doing because you want to build a strong home network to to even broadcast even more out because people don't just want an author. They want an author with with community community background behind them to know that you're not just out to get my my money for my book for your books. You're here to you're here to to encourage readers, to strengthen the community, to make a literate society. That's what you're here for. Not just to okay. make money off of books. So, yes, start where you are and build from there. I cannot tell you how many librarians I talk to that say not enough local writers or authors contact them for events. They'd rather, you know, fly to New York and be part of Harlem Book Fair or fly to Atlanta and do the National Book Club Conference. Those are great events to do. I'm not saying don't do them. But always remember, you have your local community that can support you and strengthen you in those times when you can't do it. So mm. get out there and be local and strengthen your own. Did you sell? Do community before selling books. Be out there teaching people how to read, encouraging readers. Tell adults, practice what you preach. You know, you're telling your kids to read a book where you need to read a book. You know? <laughs> Be in your community. Donate to the little libraries. Encourage other people to donate to the little libraries, you know. Find ways where more people can get books in their hands all the time in your local community because you want to build a strong foundation. Very important. Very important. Now, this kind of launches into our next question, and we thank you for all you've shared so far here in today's interview. Now, you wrote, and I think it's very fitting that you wrote and published the Internet Marketing Guide for Writers. What are some mm-hmm. of the topics that you cover in the book, again, the the Internet Marketing Guide for Writers? So in the Internet Marketing Guide for Writers, even though it's still it's an older book, but it still applies today, a lot of things I talk about, like things we don't even use anymore, um, are press releases, electronic press releases, linking and collaboration, search engine optimization, and return on investment, building a strong website in order to get the traffic you need. Mark Zuckerberg doesn't need any more traffic at this point. Mark Zuckerberg can handle himself what you should be doing is using your social media like breadcrumbs into your website to build more traffic there so then you can build a strong following and then a strong community, which can sell you more books than what Mark Zuckerberg can do. Okay. So, he, so, so, so it's not just Facebook. You know what? We had another uh, author on here, and I can't remember her name, but she said, Highly recommended. Have your own, and I and I also 
second this. I agree with that. Have your own mailing list as well. Now, you said you had 10,000 members in your Motown Writers Network, grew from 75 to uh, to over 10,000 in, in, you know, like 10 years. But like you said, when you mentioned Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook, if they would have shut these social media networks down and there's nothing we could do to stop them, then you wouldn't right. have, how would you still keep in touch with with your readers, how would you how would you still keep in touch with them? So I, I really that's an, a tip is to have your own um, mailing list. I remember years ago when I, they would push the guerrilla marketing tips, and that was one thing they pushed. You got to build your mailing list. You got to build your mailing list. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, when I think social media really took off, people might have started to step away from that. But talking about social media. Uh, uh, Sylvia, in talking about social media, how important is social media to today's book writer? Just how important is it to have a presence on a social media? It is very important because you want to be where your readers are. So a lot, of course, 60 to 70% of your readers are on social media, and you want to have that presence there. But be Use a venue that you know how to use and that you're good at. You know, don't try to spread yourself thin and try to be everywhere. So, like, if you're if you're a Christian author, don't try to put all your work on Snapchat because that's not where a lot of Christians are or a lot of Christians should be <laughs> after dark. <laughs> anyway, but you should be pushing your efforts towards, okay, let me get on Facebook where a lot of Christians sit. You know, where, you know, if you're a young adult author, though, yes, you should be on Snapchat or TikTok because that's where your readers are because that's where the teens and tweens are hanging out at. Yes, you should be there and putting efforts towards over there. So be where your readers are, but don't don't thin yourself out. You can have a presence, but that doesn't mean you have to, you know, you, you have to have it everywhere because you'll wear yourself out trying to be everywhere. You know, find out what two two to three uh, social medias that you're good at and then market towards those until, you know, and then lightly push towards the other ones that you can just repurpose the ones that you've already done towards that way. So that's how and I do, feel. Go ahead. And do you recommend that new authors start? We kind of we already discussed this one. And there was a Tracy Price Thompson took that approach when she came out with I want to say it was I don't know if it was Black Coffee or what I can't remember the title of her book, but her book went mm-hmm. on to become an Essence bestseller. She said she was going to start not so much locally but in a certain region, and then she would branch out nationally. But if you're in mm-hmm. a small town, and we kind of touched on this a little earlier, but for our listeners who might be looking, they might either be spending money or investing a lot of time, and they they're not maybe seeing the traction, the the results for, uh, for their investment, the return on it. Mm-hmm. If you're in a small town, what you said connecting with your library, getting involved in your community, but does that really? How long does it take? For our listeners, before that really starts to build traction, and you can start launching out nationally with your book marketing yeah. efforts. Yeah, you really can't put a time limit on it. Um, but I would say try to stick with something for at least three months, and then if you're in a small town, then there's things like Meetup, Meetup.com, where you can look for book book events. 
and you can look for book clubs and, you know, pitch to them. You can pitch to libraries, not just in your small town, but in other rural communities that, because even though I'm in Detroit, I don't stay in Detroit. I go all around the mitten, you know, and, 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 and be, you know, at different events, different conferences. You know, when I say start where you are, you have a state. You just try to do things in your state, and you can afford yourself a lot of opportunities that will get you in front of crowds that you would never have imagined. Yes, my books are usually focused towards African Americans, and um, I do interracial romances, but I'm still in front of Caucasian audiences. I'm still in front of Hispanic audiences. I'm in front of Arab audiences all the time where I can get in there and I can talk about my work, my writing, you know, my publishing efforts and things like that, you know, because it's the great state of Michigan and we have a diverse community. So I'm not just going to limit myself to say, hey, I'm I'm from Detroit, so I'm going to do things in Detroit. No, I'm going to do stuff in Alpena. I'm going to be in and in Lansing, and then I'm going to do stuff in the UP, and then I'm going to start branching out to Ohio, and then in Illinois, and then, you know, Wisconsin, and then New York, and then, you know, you see how I'm saying? Like, you just start branching out more and more, but locally, always be doing something locally. You know, you can always do something there. You can always help librarians. You can always help literacy groups. You can always do something. So there should be no reason why you're not doing something locally at least once a month to help your community while you're still reaching out to the world. Okay. Now, can you share some pros and cons of publishing books through Kindle? Um, the pros and cons. Okay, so the pros is, is that it is a great interface. It's easy to use. And you really can't go wrong with it. If you submit your own cover, your own formatted book, you know, you can pretty much be published in less than 12 hours on Amazon. Although there is a backlog, I will admit right now, there is a backlog because uh, everybody is trying to publish something these days on on Kindle. Um, But still, you can get published really fast. The con is is that uh, it does limit you in terms of distribution. So you have to, you do have to make sure that once you push out on KDP as an ebook, you should be pretty much trying to push out as a paperback book to get a farther distribution for your book, a farther reach for your book as well. Because the con of it is that yes, everybody can get KDP software on their phone or any electronic devices, but a lot of people love that paperback feel. So you shouldn't just depend on, hey, I'm going to publish a whole bunch of ebooks. You should look into pushing it out as a paperback as well. Um, you are limited oh, so- into how you format your book as well. You can't just put in, hey, my book is available on Amazon and here's the links to Amazon inside of the book. You should never do that. Um, because that way, because if you decide to upload your book to, let's say, Apple, Apple will reject the book because it has an Amazon link in it, and it makes it really difficult, especially if you do your own formatting, because Apple's like, I'm not promoting Amazon. I'm promoting Apple. Even though you can get a Kindle link in there, it doesn't matter. Apple doesn't want to promote Amazon. So you limit your Amazon. You know, you can be, you, you should be everywhere, like I said, your readers are, and your readers aren't just exclusively on Kindle. 
they're over on iBooks, they're over on Kobo, they're at Barnes and Noble. So you don't want to limit yourself and just say I'm doing KDP. Yeah, I was going to ask you that if you up if you because uh, Amazon and some book publishers are not the best of friends, but um, so if you if you if you do publish with Kindle, if an off the shelf listener took that route. They could still get distribution, it sounds like, from you with either through a library or Barnes & Noble could sell a copy of your book there, even though you published it through Kindle. Because without that, that would be, you would be limited just to Amazon. I mean, they have a lot of readers there, but that would be a... Because now libraries, especially uh, larger libraries, are using, instead of using Ingram, they started using Baker & Taylor. So a lot of lar- larger libraries do use Baker and Taylor in terms of that. For the KDP paperback publishing, they use Baker and Taylor to distribute their books. So it makes it easier for libraries to pull the books through their system. And authors, you got to remember, y'all voted for those library millages a year ago. That money is sitting in petty cash right now. You can approach libraries and tell them, buy the book. <laughs> Uh, y'all better keep up with these library millages because that's just money just sitting on the table y'all leaving so you better grab that money and keep it going okay now have you published books by other writers you've published into 50 books and more of your own have you published books by other other writers and if so where can writers find guidelines to submit a, a manuscript to you well, I used to, but then I pulled back and I wanted to start pushing efforts towards strengthening the literary network in Michigan and stuff. So I do more workshops now on how to publish and market and promote. So, I, you know, now I just teach writers and I do empowerment sessions for them to help them do it on their own. Because at this point, I feel everybody should have the control of their own uh publishing and marketing efforts and stuff like that. So that's what I do pretty much now is I do consulting and empowerment workshops and consultations to help people publish. And when you are writing, Miss Sylvia, you're such a prolific writer, putting out about three books a, a year. What's your writing process? Do you use an outline? Do you use character sketches? How do you develop a story? Well, I'm a pantser, so that means, like, I just start with a blank sheet of paper, and I go from there. I, I Actually, what I do is, I, in my mind, I fall in love with my male protagonist first because I, I have to be really in love with him to put up with his crap. <laughs> <laughs> because, like I said, I, I, I deal with real-world aspects. You know, he's not just perfect when you meet him, and he ain't going to be perfect after you meet him either. <laughs> <laughs> so I first fall in love with him and then I start building like my female of like what's wrong with her and what's her goal in this whole situation that hasn't had doesn't have to do with relationship wise. What's her life personal goal? And then I sit and I wait for a nice scenario to come sit in my lap and say, Hey, let's just do this and and mess up everybody's life and go from there. So that's pretty much how I work it, and I know that sounds so strange, but um, and then I'll create like a maybe a paragraph just to get it out of my head until I can get to it because I'm usually oh. working on one book already, but then like I'll be like, hey, that guy in that other book is kind of sexy. What should I be doing with him? 
And then I'm like, oh, I'm going to harp on it. So I'll get a, like a paragraph and then I'll put it away until I finish the current book and then I'll start working on the next one. Oh, my goodness. Now, are you working on any new books? I'm sure you are. And if you are working on any books that aren't currently on the market, could you give us a glimpse into what you're working on right now? Well, actually, I am. I'm working on a live. I do a live story every year for my readers. Um, I have premium readers. So you can come into my website and sign up at sylviahubbard.com. And uh, right now we're working on He Touched Me. That's what the name of the book is. And it's actually about uh, a girl who, like, is in a horrible relationship with this guy who just keeps cheating on her. And now she finds out that he cheated with her mother. So she just breaks off everything and wants to start off on her own and just get her whole life together. But she's been kind of – she's one of those women that just been dependent on their parents for so long. Like, she just didn't want to adult, literally. And now she has to learn how to adult – but it was because she was she was so scared about the addiction she fell into in the past, the drug addiction. Mm-hmm. So she kind of just, hey, I'm just going to depend on my mom, and I'm not going to face that. So now she has to face adulting, but also face her addiction as well. Mm. Now, Sylvia, we learned. Oh, <laughs> before I go on, when do you? When could readers expect to see that book on the market? Well, hopefully we get, well, with all this time, I should be finished with this book probably. By. <laughs> Usually it takes me about about six months to do a book, like, as I'm going through. So it usually takes me about six months, three, five, yeah, four to six months to finish an entire book. So, like, this one, I probably should be done by the end of, like, May or June, and then I can push it out as a paperback. And by then, I, um, I think my, my – Third book this year will be coming out as well. So we're we're working on that with the editor as we speak, but we'll see. We're working on it and seeing. We'll see. Now, Sylvia, we learn so much about ourselves while we're creating, whether we're writing or creating music or painting. What have you learned about yourself since you wrote, started writing books? I learned a lot. I learned that I can retain a lot of information. <laughs> <laughs> Got a good memory. I don't know if it's a good memory. My my son relegated to he's like it's like watching you with a limitless pill, ma. When I'm working, he's like when you're out there speaking or anything, he's like you just draw information from stuff, you know, that you come across and you can pull it in. And so it's like working with a limitless pill, and it's it's really amazing to me. Like I'd be like, oh, I I I said that, I did that. Okay, you definitely are like the ever-ready battery. You just keep on and keep on going, which is a good thing. Where can off-the-shelf listeners get a copy of your books? Uh, They can get them everywhere books are sold. So, like, I have my own Amazon page, and you can always go to sylviahubbard.com slash books, and you can see all the books I have published plus all the books that are coming up plus all the books I have in audio or any other format, they're all listed there, and even other nonfiction books. Like I have uh, publishing and marketing books where I give tips and tricks and resources. I have books just for Michigan authors where they can find local libraries and uh, independent bookstores in Michigan. So I have all those books listed there, and they can find more information about that there on my website at sylviahubbard.com. 
And they can pick up all the books anywhere, like Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, Kobo, iBooks, wherever books are sold. Just open up an app and Google me. <laughs> okay. All, do you have any upcoming speaking engagements you can share? Oh, you know what? We're on COVID nineteen. So if you have anything virtual, any virtual speaking engagements that you could share with us. Actually, um, in August, we, by that time, hopefully, COVID will be over, so expect me to be at the National Book Club Conference in Georgia. So I hope to see all readers down there packing the place long as we have this over with. But other than that, I have uh, I do have some events that are coming up. Um, I can't think of them right now. We always have our second Saturdays. And actually, it's pretty cool because now we've moved online for Motown Writers Network, and we'll be having our second Saturday on our group page at Facebook. So you can go to our, just look up Motown Writers and join us every second Saturday at 11 o'clock where we actually have speakers come out and share their expertise with uh everyone so we're really excited about that we can still keep that up other than that i do have um i know i have another podcast coming up somewhere (laughs) but i can't think i'm sure you do you stay on the go where can we find you on social media networks what social media networks are you on well, I'm a lot on Facebook. Uh, you can join me there or join my page. I usually tell people if you want to get an up-close experience, so hit me up on Instagram at Sylvia Hubbard one I also do YouTube, and I have YouTube workshops on there. So you can subscribe to my channel on YouTube at Sylvia Hubbard one And then, of course, Twitter. Friend me on Twitter, and you can DM me with any questions or anything you want to know. Um, and, of course, I have my uh, Sylvia Hubbard Literary Group where all my readers come in, and that's on Facebook, too. So you can just Google me on Facebook and then just hit join, like, subscribe, and all of that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we I don't mind. We have had all oh, I've so enjoyed talking to you, and it's been such a pleasure just to actually – I see you on the social media networks, but to just – connect with you, and I thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule, uh, Sylvia, to be here with us on Off the Shelf this morning. To our Off the Shelf listeners, we have been speaking with Sylvia Hubbard. She is the founder of Motown Writers Network and the Michigan Literary Network. She's also CEO of Hub Books Literary Services, and she has published well over 50 romance suspense novels, which include Baby Doll, Heart of Detroit series, Innocent Vengeance, Let Me Love You, Beautiful, Join the Line, Dreams of Reality, and Diamond is the Rub. Please visit Sylvia Hubbard online at sylviahubbard.com, and that's S-Y-L-V-I-A. H-U-B-B-A-R-D.com, SylviaHubbard.com. Thank you so much, Sylvia, and thank you to our off-the-shelf listeners. If you came in midway through the show, no worries. When it finishes streaming, you can listen to it in its entirety in the archives. And, Sylvia, I'll shoot you an email when the show, with a link to the show when it finishes streaming. As I always tell you guys, no matter what, you are awesome. You are amazing. You are incredible. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. I'll see you back here next Saturday at 11 a.m. Thank you again, Sylvia. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye-bye.